A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The Other Hand is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hello, Chris. Good to talk again. Lots on the agenda as usual. We've had a Fitch downgrade to US debt. Lots going on in US politics with the indictment of Trump. Uh, We have lots going on in the UK politically with Farage and Rishi Shunak, and particularly his attitude towards the environmental agenda. Uh, Lots happening in an area of great interest to me in recent times, China. And there's also a lot of stuff going on in Africa that should give us cause for concern. It's probably getting nothing like enough attention in this part of the world at the moment. But first, I'd like to just start off with our second last podcast focused in a little bit on the Irish banking system and what was happening there. It was in the aftermath of AIB's results, where we were pretty critical about the behavior of the banking system here. Uh, This week, we got Bank of Ireland's results, net interest income up 68% to 1.8 billion, profit before tax up 190%. Bank of Ireland has 29 billion on deposit in the Central Bank of Ireland, another 2 billion pounds on deposit in the Bank of England, earning significant rates of interest and paying out virtually nothing, at least in Ireland, on the deposit side. We were, as I say, quite critical in that podcast. And I wrote a piece that was up on the Substack site, attracted a lot of reaction from people. But, uh, you know, it, it is quite clear that the Irish banks are just gouging us, basically. The data to back that up, as we spoke about in the pod, was illustrated uh, in an FT article about Ireland appearing at the bottom of the league table of countries whose banks have passed on rate increases to their savers. And I think that it's a very simple story of lack of competition and that if the the system in in Ireland was more competitive, if you had more banks, then you would have better better savings rates. One listener did make, make the point that Ireland seems to have gone from being one of the most expensive mortgage markets in the euro area 
to one of the cheapest. Does the data back that up, Jim? Yeah, the data does back that up because I saw um, other data, I think it was from the Eurostat, showing the extent to which interest rate increases have been passed on to mortgage borrowers. And Ireland is close to the bottom of that league table. So the Irish banks have not been as quick to pass on. A few things I would say about that is that um, obviously if you're on a fixed rate mortgage, they cannot pass on interest rate increases to you. In On the variable rate side, yet very definitely the full ECB increases have not been passed on and the full increases have been passed on to people on tracker mortgages. But I would say that there's a lot more people and a lot more money affected on the deposit side by the decision to pass virtually nothing on to depositors than would be beneficially affected by the failure to pass on in full the mortgage rate increases. So I think on balance, um, while Ireland scores well in terms of passing on the mortgage rate increases on balance, there is a significant net withdrawal of money from bank customers because of the stance towards deposit rates. The difference between borrowing and lending rates, of course, is the profit margin for banks. And it could be, and I'd be interested in your opinion about this, Jim, as to whether or not they they would think like this. If If you're going to get a negative headline as a banker and as bankers, uh, they always get negative headlines. I'm an ex-banker, you're an ex-banker. We know all about uh, not admitting ever to being a banker, even if it's years and years ago in our past now. They used to get a lot of stick for charging the highest mortgage rates in the euro area. And that, that must have been very painful to get those constant political and other commentators throwing uh, brickbats at them for for their high mortgage rates. Could they be an explicit choice to say we'd rather the headlines about low savings rates than the headlines about high mortgage rates, and that this is a deliberate policy decision? Or do you? Yeah, just, just... Uh, I th- I think that is definitely the case, Chris, because uh, there'd be a lot less sympathy out there for depositors than for mortgage holders, and clearly, uh, politically. Housing is a massive, massive story here in this country. So, yeah, I I would say there is an explicit decision taken by the banks to actually pursue this course of action. So if Uh, you're rich enough to have a deposit, a decent savings deposit, earning pitiful rates of interest, very little sympathy. But if you're a mortgage holder facing, uh, in the past anyway, the highest mortgage rates in Europe, lots of sympathy. So uh, if you are a PR person, if you are a PR advisor to the banks, this is definitely the road you would have gone down. Absolutely. Yeah, that doesn't make it right, though. No. Um, and as I say, I think at the end of the day, it's just a function of competition. And there will, at some point in the future, uh, one of two things will happen, perhaps both. The, if the profits of these banks are sustained at these levels, they will be competed away. Because just as in the past, uh, new banks c- came into Ireland. You remember, it seems like a, you know decades ago, but the new banks used to come in almost daily to take advantage of a previous high profit environment for, for banks. They've all gone now, of course. Um, yeah, I remember, Chris, I think it was 1999 when yeah. Bank of Scotland entered the Irish mortgage market. Almost overnight, mortgage rates fell by about 2%. Yeah, so and, that, uh, that will happen again. The, the, the reason why I think that th- these profit margins won't be sustained is that either that will happen or they'll be regulated away in some form. The competition authorities will eventually have to do something about this and, and uh, sort it out. 
And interestingly, if you thought that these profit rates for these banks were going to be sustained indefinitely, their share prices will be a lot higher than they are now. And so the stock market, I think, is confident that these profits will eventually prove unsustainable. But I suspect that it's going to be a while before we get a new entrant into the Irish banking market. And it's going to be a long time before the regulator gets involved. So I, th- I think the Irish banks are in for a fairly easy time over the, over the next while. I remember a, I better not say what nationality, a banker or financial services person, to be more precise, from a European country that had invested in this country and they eventually got out of the investment. And as he was leaving, getting on the plane at Dublin Airport, he looked back and said, I hope I never again set foot on this effing place. Uh, The experience was so bad. Yes, and that's one of the reasons for uh, expecting the time period over which banks come back in to be somewhat elongated because they did have a horrendous experience when it all blew up during Ireland's version of the great financial crisis. I think we should stop calling it a great financial crisis, actually, Jim, because there was nothing great about it at all, was it? I think we should call it the horrendous banking horrendous, crisis. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a dreadful period. But um, Chris, going across the Atlantic, uh, Fitch, the ratings agency, has just downgraded US sovereign debt um, on the basis of the debt standoff that occurred there um, a few months ago. How significant is this, do you think? Short answer to your question is I think it's a nothing burger. Uh, it, it's not terribly significant. It's for listeners who don't know what these ratings agencies do. Um, most uh, big borrowers, be they governments or, or corporations, are looked at by these entities called credit rating agencies, and they're assigned letters: AAA, AAB, AB plus minus. All sorts of acronyms are attached that mean that investors are able to invest in certain things that uh, depending on the letters that you get you you are able to be called an investment grade borrower or you are sometimes called a junk bond issuer if your letters have got, have got more x's and z's in rather than a's and the us historically has been triple a uh, like not the battery but uh, in, in credit terms that's as high as you can get and the more you move away from the letters a the more supposedly uh, you're being suspected of not being able to eventually pay back and or service your debt. The idea that the US would ever not service its debt or not pay it back uh, is, is, is a nonsense, except for one caveat, of course, which is these ridiculous debt standoffs that we have periodically. We've just gone through one in the States, where because of something called a debt limit, there is an actual default threatened in the United States because they can't service their debts because the US government isn't allowed to borrow anymore. And in the magic money tree world of government borrowing, the US government, like so many others, borrows to finance new uh, to servicing of old borrowings, in part at least. So that governance process, which is ludicrous in the United States, as so much of their governance process is these days, um, this one's been around for, for a very, very long time. Governance was one issue cited by Fitch, poor governance around the whole fiscal situation. The second one was the fact that the fiscal situation, the amount of money that they're actually having to borrow, is, in their view, very poor. They see fiscal deficits over the next few years uh, as a proportion of GDP virtually doubling. Uh, Fitch is one of those uh, economic forecasters that I mentioned in the last podcast that do expect a US recession. 
as I say, as I also said, lots of people no longer expect one. But partly because of that recession, damaging tax revenues and boosting government social security numbers, uh, they expect the deficit situation to deteriorate rapidly. It's not in a good starting point because Joe Biden is spending an awful lot of money and we're still living with the Trump tax cuts. The fiscal situation is expected to deteriorate. So everything that Fitch said about governance and about the actual numbers that the US government is expected to borrow and the fact that interest rates have gone up and debt servicing costs have gone up, all of it was absolutely true. But to conclude that the US government is likely to default was ludicrous. The US government will always pay its debts. If it, di- if it, did, if it doesn't, then um, we're in some kind of financial Armageddon. And it, it, it won't be a great financial crisis. It will be an Armageddon financial crisis if there, if there was to be a serious default. Um, even if they do this debt ceiling thing shenanigans again, and I think it's been postponed now for another 18 months or so. January uh, 25, yeah. yeah. So that's when the next cliff edge approaches. And if they go over it, and there's a technical default, I don't think that would be financial Armageddon. People would recognise it for what it is, which would be a technical default rather than some kind of Greek or Argentinian default. But that requires the markets to be to be somewhat sophisticated, always a big assumption. Uh, the markets have reacted badly to this. Uh, the trading in Asian stock markets, for example, overnight, uh, for, uh, after the actual announcement of the Fitch downgrade, stock markets around Asia went down quite a lot. And th- that was uh, a memory of the last time this happened, which was in 2011, when a rating agency called S&P downgraded the United States. Back then, equity markets reacted for a short time very badly. They regarded it as a risk, what we call in the trade, a risk-off moment. People took risk off the table, took their bets off the table and sold equities. There are lots of reasons why, because, but not, not, not least because bonds and equities are very tightly correlated. The market that's most directly impacted by these downgrades, uh, by this particular Fitch downgrade uh, earlier on in the week, hardly budged. If anything, uh, bond prices went up a touch rather than fall, as you might expect. So I do think the all-important US Treasury market is uh, riding through this blissfully saying it's absolutely nothing. It doesn't affect us. It is meaningless. The rating agency actually is behaving, in my view, rather stupidly, um, only in the sense that I don't think there is any material, serious or even unserious risk of the US defaulting. So I don't think it's a big deal. But it was interesting that at least for a short while, the um, the risk-off trade was definitely in play. We'll see if that continues for much longer. Back in 2011, it lasted a very short time, and then it was all gradually forgotten. My guess is that that's exactly what's going to happen now. But the only caveat I would add is this is a sort of a market view more than anything else, is that as we came into August earlier on in the week, markets were looking for an excuse to go down because they'd had such a good seven months and they were already weak just before this announcement. Stock markets were already weak. So I think plenty of players were thinking, maybe I should take some money off the table. And this was a good enough reason for them to do so. So I wouldn't be surprised if we were going to be going into a period of equity market weakness anyway. And this is just used as an excuse to do so. But is it a real excuse? Does it really impact on the all important US bond market? No, I don't think so. 
Chris, in November next year, we have a presidential election and the candidates are lining up on well, on the Republican side of the fence at the moment, less so on the Democratic side. Ron DeSantis, the the guy down in Florida, um, he was speaking, who was putting himself forward, obviously. He was speaking at the weekend, and two of his policy proposals interested me. One was he said he would revoke China's favoured nation trade status. So in other words, that would imply the imposition of taxes on Chinese goods which would be in direct contravention of WTO rules. But for people in the Republican Party, these international rules don't really matter anyway. The second thing is he said he would rein in the Federal Reserve. So pretty strong stuff there from a potential candidate. But less people and markets start to get really worried about this, there is very little likelihood that DeSantis will get anywhere near the White House. The latest opinion poll of Republican voters shows Trump is sitting on 54%. DeSantis is on 17%. And my favorite candidate, Chris Christie, is on just 2%. So Trump running away with it. Um, This obviously was taken before the latest indictment of Trump in the last few days. Uh, But I guess Republican voters won't be terribly concerned by it anyway. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It, it's quite clear, looking at the various reactions around the place, that this won't change anybody's mind. Um, I'd like to think it would, uh, in, a, in a reasonable, rational logical world which we don't live in this would change a lot of people's minds Uh, but uh, if you look at the new york times which as you would expect comes out strongly uh, um, uh, against donald trump and urges people to read the 40 odd pages of the indictment they they describe it i think quite accurately that the indictment says it's an attack on a uh, trump attacked american democracy he tried via a conspiracy at which he was the heart of to change the results of a legitimate election. And that, in fact, the indictment goes into three overlapping conspiracies that culminated on January the 6th, 2021, which the indictment says was an attempt to obstruct Congress's role in ratifying the Electoral College outcome. It couldn't, in those terms, be expressed more seriously. This is the first time it's ever happened. Presidents have behaved badly in the past in all sorts of different ways. But this is orders of magnitude if these charges prove to be um, are proved to be much greater than anything anybody has ever done at the heart of the US government. And yet, 
uh, most commentators that I see have done a number of things. The, the the sort of cynically wise old owls are saying that what this will do is it'll actually increase campaign contributions to Trump's run for for the presidency for the second time. It'll solidify his vote. Uh, the fact that he is so far ahead of Ron DeSantis and the other candidates, as as you mentioned. And there was a, I think, fairly typical conversation that I witnessed on the BBC's flagship news current affairs programme, Newsnight, just after all of this had been announced, in which they had a couple of Trump supporters and a couple of Democrat-type supporters. It was an extraordinary in two regards. One was the way in which the Trump supporters just started immediately doing the whataboutery. What about Hunter Biden's laptop? What about Joe Biden's links to Hunter Biden's laptop and Hunter Biden's nefarious activities? And uh, that's what they do all the time. They try to say that uh, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son and Joe Biden are up to their necks in awful activities and they're all as bad as each other. So why are you going after Trump and not going after Biden? Which, of course, misses the point completely. And I'll, I'll come on to that in a second. But at no point do the Republican supporters ever address the actual indictment and what Trump is being accused of, other than to say, well, he did nothing wrong. And he was absolutely right and entitled to do what he, what he did. And to me, that's saying that he was entitled to perform seditious acts. And I use that word carefully because that's what the allegations in my untutored legal eyes amount to. But it's the quality of the journalism is the second, perhaps smaller point to make, is that the people, the person on Newsnight who's at the centre of this debate, putting these, what about Hunter Biden's laptop versus uh, Donald Trump's uh, uh, overlapping conspiracies together and trying to obscure what Donald Trump has done. The obvious point to say is that whatever Hunter Biden has or has not done, whatever Joe Biden has or has not done, these indictments stand or fall in their own regard. Either Donald Trump did all this or he didn't. And if he did do it, he's probably going to go to jail, possibly going to go to jail for longer than he's got left in his life. It is that serious. The jail terms could be that long. And that's what you need to deal with. Two wrongs don't make a right. If Joe Biden is up to his neck in something, and I, you know, for one, don't think that he is, but if he is, then he deserves to be subjected to the full scrutiny of the law. But whether Joe Biden is being subjected to the law or not doesn't and shouldn't detract from what Trump is now being alleged to have done. The two things are not equivalent. They can't be equated. And you can't say just because Joe Biden isn't being prosecuted, that's the reason why you shouldn't prosecute Donald Trump. Donald Trump clearly did something in the eyes of the prosecutor, in the eyes of the grand jury, and it needs now to to, to have the court hearing. The, the third interesting thing that came out of this discussion on Newsnight is the one of the Republican talking heads said, watch Robert Kennedy Jr., because he's the one that's going to swing it for Trump in the actual general election. There's going to be some kind of deal between this very Trump-like candidate, Robert Kennedy Jr., son of the late senator, late attorney general, JFK's brother. Um, he, he seems very Trump-like in all of his beliefs and attitudes, and yet he's going to campaign, he's going to run for president, possibly, as a Democrat, which is a bit bizarre. And at some point in that campaign, there will be a deal done between Trump and Kennedy 
such that that will pave the way, smooth the way for Trump's return to the White House. If something like that happens, or if Donald Trump via that or any other means gets into the White House, I think we need to ask serious questions about the survivability of the United States Republic as it currently stands, Jim. Indeed, Chris, hard to argue with that. I want to get back in a second to what's going on in the UK with Farage and Sunak. But before I do that, just a quick reference to a couple of things. One is what's happening in China, uh, the world's second biggest economy that we've covered in some detail in recent podcasts. But the latest data show manufacturing continues to weaken uh, the lowest reading in six months. Home sales have tumbled by the most in a year. And that's just going to exacerbate the problems in the already struggling real estate developers and the planning agency has come out uh, with some further measures to try and boost the economy easier making it easier for companies to borrow um, increasing support for small businesses so i just want to mark that fact that the economic travails of china continue Um, one thing that uh, and this will be a first i believe for this podcast i want to take you to africa and what's happening on the african continent at the moment Uh, Niger had a a military coup in the last couple of weeks. It's a population of over 23 million people. This is the seventh coup in West and Central Africa in the last three years. Okay, so that part of Africa really appears to be falling apart at the moment. And so what you might ask, you know, what, what of what relevance is that to those of us outside of Africa. Well, I think it's it's incredibly relevant because the West African, the, well, the economic community of Western African states, okay, it came out and basically threatened the use of force if this junta was not reversed quickly, okay? Mali and Burkina Faso have both been subject to coups in recent times. Both of those countries came out saying that if there was military intervention, they would respond very, very badly and so on. The the point about Mali and Burkina Faso is that we're seeing an increasing penetration of jihadists and also the Wagner group. Okay, so going back to what's happening in Niger, it just it's more evidence of this very dangerous split in the world between Russia and everybody who's not a friend of Russia. And the Russians really seem to be trying to dig into these countries. And of course, there is the French, for example, have a military base in um, Niger, and they, they may be forced to pull that military base out of that country. And Niger supplies uranium to France for its nuclear industry, for example. So these countries are very rich in natural resources, and hence the Russian and Chinese interest in them in recent times. But the bottom line is that Africa and the the growth of democracy, which has been a feature of Africa to some extent over the years, is certainly taking a real hammering, um, at least in West and Central Africa at the moment. And, and of course, uh, apart from the Russian influence there, the Chinese influence there, it also has dramatic implications for future forced migration out of those countries. So as you've often said, Chris, everything is tied into everything else. I think this evolving story in Africa needs to be watched very, very carefully. 
I was just about to use those very words again, Jim, because the Wagner thing is particularly interesting, particularly sinister. Wagner, for those listeners that haven't heard of them, they are the so-called private military company, which is a a euphemism for a bunch of mercenaries uh, that somebody called Yevgeny Prigozhin has put together. And they fought successfully over many months to capture a Ukrainian city called Bakhmut and then withdrew to recover and lick their wounds because they suffered horrendous losses in the capture, eventual capture of that city. And they pulled out of the Ukraine war completely and have established two bases in neighboring Belarus. And they're causing mischief there by uh, issuing all sorts of hints that they might have a go at Poland or Lithuania or Estonia. And those countries have been expressing alarm about their borders with Belarus Uh, in recent days. Wagner has been active prior to the war in Ukraine in Syria. They've been particularly nasty there. And as you say, in Africa, in many jurisdictions, their business model is very simple. They go to a dictator or a wannabe, wannabe dictator and say, we'll put you in power and or we'll keep you in power in, in, uh, in return for mineral rights or precious metal rights, or diamond rights, and those sorts of things. Putin likes all this because it sows chaos. Um, It gets Russian access to certain uh, resources. But the spreading of chaos is what he really likes, because that's what he does. And one of the chaotic outcomes of all of this, of course, as you rightly mentioned, is forced migration. So yes, it is connected to everything else, particularly the Ukraine war. Uh, the absence of Wagner now from Ukraine has put an awful lot of pressure on Russian, the regular Russian army, and it looks like Putin is going to have to do another conscription, partly because they've lost so many troops overall, but also because Wagner is no longer there. So everything is connected to everything else, Jim. Jim, we, w- we were going to talk about uh, the... Yeah, can I just, can I just uh, throw a quote at you uh, I saw today? Sunak stopped stopping oil. I know, Jim. I think we've run out of time. And because the issue of the environment and what Sunak is up to turning the environment into one part of the UK's culture war is so awful, it's so Trumpian that it requires five or 10 minutes discussion on its own that we might leave that to the next pod, if that's all right. Excellent. I look forward to it. Good Jim, to talk. Have a good weekend. And you. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated.